God, this morning, um, we are grateful that, God, that you hear us, and God, that uh, you can see into our hearts, and God, that you know uh, where we are concerned, God, where there is fear or anxiety or worry, God, where there is anger, and um, God, that uh, you meet us in those moments. And God, we do, God, as, as your people today, God, we seek your will and God, we pray that uh, you would in this moment, that, that Paul would hear your voice um, there in the hospital. God, that he would know that uh, your presence is there with him. God, that uh, you would do what uh, only you can in his body. And God, that uh, you would heal him. God, that he might, um, in the end, uh, praise your name for it as we know he would. God, we pray for those uh, doctors and nurses and for all those who are involved to, um, to be wise. Um, God, that they would find rest to be able to treat him well. God, we pray for Sandy. Is Without a doubt, there is as much concern um, in her heart and a desire to be with him when um, she just can't uh, hear in the moment. And God, we pray that uh, you would grant her calm and peace this morning. God, that you would give her um, clear vision for the days to come. And God, for Tricia, she is uh, miles away, uh, without a doubt, uh, worried about her dad and her family. God, that uh, you would grant her the same. And for Zach and Ella, God, that this would be a moment where they hear your voice, uh, maybe like never before. And God, that they would know that uh, you are there with them in these moments. And God, we pray uh, for Dick and for his family. God, we ask for the same, that you might grant healing, that you might grant wisdom to um, all of the doctors and nurses who are working uh, with him. And God, for the family, as uh, they are, uh, without a doubt, just um, filled with concern and uh, some worry. And God, that you might grant them calm and peace. God, they also, that they too might hear your voice today. And God, we trust that uh, you are more than capable, you are more than big enough um, to do those things in our hearts. You're more than capable um, to heal um, a person. If you can raise uh, yourself from the dead, God, certainly you can do that here in these moments. And uh, God, we ask that you would do that and that you would use these moments um, here in um, our church family to draw us closer together for your glory and for your name, that uh, we might uh, declare it wherever we go. So God, as we um, just kind of transition here, uh, we just ask that uh, you would teach us this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us. God, that uh, your plan is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God, that we might um, just be better in line with your will in our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, Steve Telfer is coming up with us this morning. Uh, Steve has been uh, here with New Life for quite a while, and uh, it's good to have you on stage here, friend. How are you this morning? Good, and uh, just want to say, first of all, uh, awesome, beautiful. Just a second there. Wardrobe department's coming in. There we go. All right. Just want to say, first of all, awesome, beautiful, powerful prayer. Thank you, brother. For those who are right now suffering yeah. and uh, struggling. Well, it's been interesting, just on a side note, 
that uh, for our church, you know, we've been grateful that uh, this whole COVID thing hasn't had a big impact on our church until uh, the last uh, really month or two, but we know many families have been sick and many have come through it um, incredibly well, so we're, we're praying the same as we move forward. So. Amen. But, so again, grateful to have you here with us, and it's an honor for us as a church to support you. Uh, many people out here know uh, your name and face, some might not. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of where you're from, a little bit about your family, and uh, help us know you a little bit better. Yeah, I'm Steve Telfer, and I've uh, been involved with New Life since uh, 2000, June of 2003, when first um, my wife, Laura, and uh, our daughters, uh, Elizabeth and Ashley, first attended. So we go all the way back to June of 2003. Awesome. And so much gratitude to express to this church body um, even before we had become members, we became members, I believe, in December of 2004. And uh, as the church was putting together their budget for that year, for the next year, for that 2004 year. Sorry, Steve. Let me yeah. help you one more time. Yeah. Just needs pinched, I think, a little bit. Just ask my wife. She can tell you how good I am at technology, you know. So. I, th I think that'll do it. Yeah. But uh, the... Uh, the church, as they were forming their budget for the 2004 year, even before we were members, they put me in the church budget, the ministry I do, as a line item, and uh, it's continued ever since, so it's always a special, special memory for me. Yeah. Well, oh, hey, can I say one other memory, too? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I started, I started on the setup crew when I, when I first came, because we were not in our building, previous building, and one of the, I was... Uh, lining up chairs with an eighth grader at that time. Well, that eighth grader right now, uh, he went to Madison Christian School, then he went to Pickering and North, graduated high school, went to Purdue University, got his bachelor's degree, went to Ohio University, got his medical degree, is just ready to finish his residency uh, in um, Ohio, and now he's going to go get a fellowship for two years analyzing stroke victims down in Virginia. So that's just a real real cool memory, you know, was we were setting up chairs. So here in, uh, what you're saying is hang out with you, join the setup team, <laughs> and you too might be a brain surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> See, he told me before we began that he needs some recruiting to going on for the setup and the teardown teams. <laughs> awesome. So. Well, I, I don't want to be a brain surgeon. Um, well, so, no, he's um, not going to be a brain surgeon, but he's going to, he was considering that at one point, but he's going to analyze uh, stroke, the victims of stroke. Okay. Yeah. Good, good for him. Matt, right? Yes. Yeah, very, very good. Well, a lot of people might know your name, but they don't know a lot about the ministry that you do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your ministry and how you kind of got involved in that? I came to Christ, Faith in Christ, 1980. I was a senior in high school. And six years later, I ended up at the University of Kentucky for my bachelor's degree. It was my second year of study. And... Uh, I decided to switch my major my sophomore year to primarily study history. And as I studied history, uh, I was really fascinated with post-World War II American history. And I saw we were becoming, um, you know, a nation of power, both militarily and economically. But also, we were, were making a lot of decisions that were beginning a moral decline in our society as well. And I saw them accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. And uh, I actually walked out of one of my history classes, and uh, I the Spirit was talking to me. The Holy Spirit was moving in my spirit, and that's when I believe I received my calling to, uh, he said, I want you to work with troubled teenagers. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, 
34 years ago. And I began to investigate some um, different ministries. I was actually going to go and spend a year up in New York City with a, a Catholic ministry called Covenant House. They work with runaways who uh, end up in the sex, sex industry in New York City. But uh, it, was, um, it was Catholic. It, was, it wasn't evangelical. So God said no to that. But as soon as I came back to Lexington, Kentucky, he got me connected with the Youth, Youth for Christ chapter there. And um, that's where I began in 1990 with Youth for Christ. 1990? Yes. That was a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, you want to see the handheld? Yeah. You have one? That's fine. Entering stage right. Oh, they're right there. I could have just grabbed that. Yes, yeah, so uh, it was uh, 1990. Awesome. And I was there for uh, just a year, and then I came, my first job, I taught at Liberty Christian Academy. Hey, here's another story with Eric. I uh, came up and uh, began to teach at Liberty Christian Academy in 1991, and Eric spoke at our Spiritual Emphasis Week in 1992. Yes, very interesting story there. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the most powerful times in our or six years, uh, my six years there at the school. So I just want you to know, Eric and I go back quite, quite a way, you know, quite a yeah. way. It was right after your snow camp experience, I believe, right? Yeah, it was right after, uh, it was my junior year in high school and just gave my life to Christ and felt like God wanted me to go into full-time ministry. And um, so I did this um, like shadow day with my youth pastor. So I, I show up and, you know, we get to his office and I take my coat off and sit down. He's like, hey, put your coat on, we're going. I'm like, all right going to do what youth pastors do today. And uh, so we, we get in his van and we start going. And, and uh, I'm like, oh, well, where, where are we going? He's like, well, it's spiritual emphasis week at the school. And uh, you're, you're, you're speaking today. <laughs> About uh, wet my pants there in his van. And, uh, you know, public speaking was not re- anything I was remotely interested in. And I thought he was joking a little bit. And uh, he didn't really say anything, so eventually I asked, you know, are, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, you're speaking. I'm like, what am I talking about? So that was uh, my first time really, other than speech class, which doesn't count, uh, talking in front of people, and it was quite terrifying, quite terrifying. Yeah, but God, God really moved powerfully that week, and... Uh... Uh, it was a it was an awesome week for me as a teacher there, and, yeah. I, and I know a lot of a lot of students were really, really touched and blessed. And who knows what God did with that? Yeah, well, yeah. A testimony that. God but didn't but do as soon as I came time. up to Columbus, even though I was teaching full time, I began to immediately volunteer with the, the Youth for Christ chapter here with Trouble Teens. At that point, it was a neighborhood ministry up on the west end of Columbus. And then it would have moved down to sort of the uh, Clintonville area, but then it went down to the bottoms in Franklinton. So I did that until I'm at my, till my position where I'm at now. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about kind of the foundations of your ministry and kind of why you do what you do. Well, Youth for Christ, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Youth for Christ. It goes all the way back to 1944. Uh, it was uh, formed after World War II when all these GIs came back from the war. And uh, it began in the Midwest and had major rallies and... Um, and God just immediately took, took, took off the ministry, not only nationally, but the, the leaders of this ministry, the visionaries, they took it worldwide. But it's really uh, now developed into 11, 19-year-olds. Um, so we do relational youth evangelism, and our target 
group are what we call lost, lost teens. So what we mean by that is teens that are not Christian, have made that faith decision except Jesus as Savior and Lord, and also are, are not in a, in a church, not in, not in the local church. And uh, so now we're in about, you know, 100 and about 150 chapters throughout the United States and 100 countries worldwide. And, um, and what's neat over, overseas, we also have indigenous leadership. We really use national leadership. Now, within Youth for Christ, there's certain, a number of divisions. And I'm in uh, the division of juvenile justice ministry. And that works with teens on probation in the juvenile court system. So these are teens that have committed either misdemeanor or felony crime and are on uh, probation with the juvenile court. And uh, we call these uh, not only lost, lost teens, but we call them high-risk teens. So what do we mean by high-risk teens? That means teens that have, are experiencing significant pain in their lives. And, and most teenagers are going through, through difficult challenges and struggles. But these teens have significant pain, trauma, and they're beginning to project it out on others. So, and of course, they're projecting it by they've committed a misdemeanor and felony crime. Now, just because a teen uh, commits... Uh, you know, misdemeanor or felony crime doesn't mean they're going to go to a juvenile detention center, but many end up do going to a juvenile detention center. And that's where juvenile justice ministry primarily serves, is inside a juvenile detention center. And that's what I've been doing uh, for, since I began 17 years ago at the facility down in Lancaster. Uh, and it's developed from there. Yeah. A lot of people will have uh, different ideas on why, why a kid ends up um, in detention center, or they might commit a felony, and sometimes those are stereotypes, right? Yeah, um, you know, most most crime juveniles commit is, is minor crime. Uh, obviously, there are incidences of serious crime that go on, uh, but for the most part, it's it's minor violations, and a lot of times that doesn't necessarily get them to the juvenile detention center right away. But then they're put on probation, and obviously, the probation officer, the magistrate, or the judge you know, they want to know what these young people are doing because they've already been in trouble and they just can't seem to uh, obey the rules and uh, stay on probation. And so that can get them in a juvenile detention center. Now, a juvenile detention center is short-term lockup. So it's a few days, a few weeks, a few months at the most. But generally, the average stay for a youth is about, about three weeks. Yeah. But uh, now sometimes they have to be put in this detention center. We often call it detention home. They've got to be in there for their safety. Um, too many of these youth run away, and especially uh, on the female side, we're so concerned about the issue of, of human trafficking. So a lot of times, you know, um, probation officers or children's services or other advocates will place them in detention just because they're safe, you know, away from. Or, you know, a lot of times there's domestic disputes at home. They, they, they're just arguments going between the guardian and the teen, and they're put in, put in, uh, uh, juvenile detention. The other big issue, unfortunately, is the drugs. Um, the drugs have gotten so serious, and too many teenagers, you know, they're just not, it's just not smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol. It's, hey, you know, it's the hard drugs. And um, so a lot of times they, they have to be put into detention just to, you know, have them dry out and get sober yeah. from, uh, from, from their usage. Do you, do you find that um, many students, they, they just woke up one day and decided to commit a crime, or do you find that there's 
typically things that have happened in their lives, some sort of trauma? Yeah, good question. You know, there's so many people who come in and share their testimony or uh, give a teaching, and, and they'll all ask the youth, did you ever imagine at this age that you would end up in a juvenile detention center? And they all, they all shake their head now. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something you... you uh, Nobody's sitting at home as a four or five-year-old. Right. You're like, man, I want to go to juvie. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, when they get older, sometimes that, uh, that mentality, and that's what we want to see change, you know, because uh, that's the path of destruction. Yeah. So what does your ministry look like? So I know a lot, a lot of um, students that have kind of come through um, your ministry and through the detention center, they've had um, a lot of trauma that might have happened. They might have had just a lot of um, difficult things happen at their home. Um, it might be a string of bad decisions. Um, what, what does your ministry look like? Well, I'm the chaplain there, so a chaplain is like a pastor at an institution. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm perceived as the, as the guy guy there. And the, uh, we have... Hold on a second. Yeah. The God guy? Well, you know, in is other words... Is that what words, they call you? No, the, the, you know, I, I guess, you know, in other words, I, I'm, they, they can talk to me about God. <laughs> okay. You know, yeah. Because that um, would be incredibly interesting if they called you the God guy. Yeah, true, true. That's... Right. I don't need those kind of nicknames. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we, at Youth for Christ, we have what we call relational ministry activities, and the first one is called contacting. So that's where we just meet the youth in the center. So I just go and say hi to them and uh, introduce myself, ask, you know, their name, uh, where they're from, you know, obviously the county of the, uh, that sent them in the center, and uh, begin to get to know them. And then uh, the, another relational ministry activity, and this is where I spend most of my time, is what's called appointments. And that's where a youth... Uh, is willing to sit down with me one-on-one. And it's basically a counseling session or in a time of conversation. And that's where I spend, spend most of my time. Now, if, if they're willing to meet with me, uh, it's all voluntary. Mm-hmm. Nothing of spiritual programming can be, um, you know, mandatory. And then we also we conduct groups as well. And uh, we, we did those several times a week before COVID, but now I'm just doing it one time a week. That's where we, we give a lesson from the scriptures or uh, give a t- somebody comes in and gives their testimony. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of um, young people, just, just having someone that they know that they believe cares for them makes an impact on their life? Yeah. That's, uh, if I can share, I'll just share a little story here of one, one uh, young lady I talked to. That's exactly right. I just really believe my um, most important thing is with these young people is to have, like, listen to them and have normal conversation with them. Because so many of them don't even know what it is to have a normal conversation with an adult. It's, you know, their, their lives are that chaotic and that toxic. Here's one example. Um, after a few minutes, this was an appointment I had with one of the youth at the detention center. After a few minutes into our conversation, Kara, who's 13, shared she had taken a relative's car from a ride from one town to another. On the return trip back, she wrecked it twice. Fortunately, she did not injure or kill anybody or herself. And that incident led to her arrest and charges brought by the juvenile court. I asked her directly why she took the car Without any hesitation, she answered, she quickly answered, I was drunk. Hmm. Her response took me back somewhat, but really not that much because the clarity of her words was striking for a young lady just entering her teen years. This is not what a student in junior high should be experiencing. But it begins to make sense when I discovered that alcohol was Kara's drug of choice. 
She especially prefers the hard liquor when she indulges because it gets her really drunk quickly. Her dad is currently in prison and her mom has also been in and out of prison. Now, can I just see a show of hands? How many have driven a car, your car in Licking County at one time or another? In Licking County. Well, you might have passed this young lady on that, that night. And uh, I mean, we don't want to be passing a 13-year-old in a stolen car drunk. You know, this isn't good. This isn't good. Yeah. Not good for her, not good for us. But here, again, and, and then we get to go in, and of course, back to the emphasis on evangelism, because we want to we want to commit to be a youth for Christ. We're committing to sharing an informed understanding of the gospel so they can make an informed decision. And so here's what happened next. It was excellent when she asked me, I, I want to know about God more. And of course, that's what I'm there for. When I began to inquire about what she understood about Jesus, she immediately responded, I know he's the one to whom I must give my heart. Mm. And that was really cool to hear. I mean, because you don't hear that too often from young people that say that of their own volition, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, again, went through the gospel with her, uh, the facts, the truth of the gospel, what Jesus did for her, and uh, providing that opportunity to make that decision. Most of the youth are not ready, and that, and hey, they just met me, and, uh, and, you know, we never look anybody, you know, they're not an evangelism target, right? But just the opportunity to share that gospel, the, the, the opportunity to, hey, that decision can be made anytime, anywhere. Now, Kara's in a situation that's pretty common, you know, since, you know, her mother's out of her life, her dad's out of her life, she has to live with her grandmother. And so many grandparents are now uh, raising their grandchildren, and, um, but, uh, you know, thank goodness her grandmother was there. But, you know, um, I don't know if she ever returned again to the detention center. She might return one more time, but I haven't. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, this is one of the other areas I really want to emphasize about the ministry is uh, uh, we, we want to – one of my major prayers for the youth is that they'll stop doing criminal and deviant behavior. And they'll do what's right and what's good. I don't ever want Kara to take a car again, get drunk, and drive illegally. You know, that's the, that, that she would get to a point that she would never, ever want to do that again. Kids hooked on, hooked on meth that he gets sober and overcomes meth. That if a kid can't stop beating his you know, stepdad up that, that he'll not want to do that. You know, yeah. of course, that's secondary to the, to the spiritual decision for Jesus. But, and the other thing, too, is, and this is why I'm so thankful to be in, be in the center. And by the way, we're in five facilities in, in central Ohio. Uh, we have three staff and 40 volunteers um, in central Ohio. And, you know, the population count of those detention centers on any one day is between 100 and 200 young people. So those are the souls we get to have the potential to minister to and share the gospel with. And in the country right today, today, in America today, there's approximately 47,000 young people in lockup in a detention facility. And I, I want to say this to say thank you to all of you for making it possible for myself and many other people to be involved in this because you're loving them indirectly, providing that opportunity to bring bring the hope of the gospel to them in, in a different way to look at life. 
But the other factor is some, um, you know, that, that young people, you, you can understand this, Eric, all the years you've done youth ministry, is that young people won't hate God. Mm. And because um, I believe when, when young people start hating God, that's when we see some of the craziness going on with the school shootings and some of these uh, horrific acts of violence. And that, hey, if a young person can turn, you know, and not even consider, hey, yeah, I don't have to hate God. Maybe I can even begin to get to know God and even love God. I taught, I taught that this morning at the detention center that, you know, on Valentine's Day that, hey, you know, how much God loves these young people and how much he wants them to choose to love him. Mm. Of course, you know, and that's where Jesus comes in. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, for, for those that haven't really dealt with a lot of people with trauma, which, by the way, we all have. We just might not know it. Yep. <laughs> um, particularly at a young age, for many of them that have probably uh, just experienced just incredibly difficult things, even as a child, a young child, to, to see um, some of the results of that, um, the anger um, that has built up, the, the lack of trust, ways that they've been abused or manipulated. And, um, you know, so your approach to sharing the gospel probably isn't the same as somebody that might go door to door in a neighborhood. Um, how, how is your approach to sharing the love of God and the gospel different, maybe in your environment? Well, and first of all, you know, back to what you were saying about trust, because there's, there's, three, there's three realities of these teens. First of all, um, there's an absence of love. Um, there's little reality in their lives, and there's a lack of trust. And a lot of them is, hey, I can't trust my dad because, you know, he doesn't care about me, or he's been out of my life, or he's never been... I'm not going to trust God because I'm not, hey, I'm not going to even let God hurt me, right? Yeah, so our approach, uh, our method of evangelism in uh, Youth for Christ is we call three story. So it's um, your story, my story, and God's story. Hmm. And uh, of course, I feel my strength is I can really sit down with these youth. And again, you know, so many of them are starving for it you know, significant, meaningful conversation with an adult. And also, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor as well. So uh, it's somebody that represents God and, you know, gives them a positive, uh, you know, relationship there or experience. But uh, I just really listen to their story. Yeah. You know, back to the, the trauma, the, the hardships, the difficulties, because they, they really haven't been hurt. And then, hey, I'll interject my story in from time to time. But then, of course, that transitions right into God's story. And, of course, the first question I asked, hey, do you believe God exists? And most of them do. And then from there, and they're, they're usually real open to hear the gospel because yeah. um, they're just grateful for the time, you know, yeah. sort of a captive audience too, right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in detention. <laughs> No doubt. Yeah. Well, and just just for us to be challenged that we just need to be the kind of people um, that are spending time with people to listen to them. Yeah. To, to yeah. hear their story because, you know, although we don't know it, we're, we're around people every single day that have experienced incredible amounts of trauma in their lives. And just to have that ministry of presence to be present with them and to listen and hear them. Well, and the other aspect, too, I'm really thankful for is the staff there, too, even though, you know, because... Uh, they have to transport the youth, and uh, so oftentimes they'll hear a testimony from someone or, uh, uh, you know, one of the teachings going on. And, and one of the coolest things is there was st- a staff I, I knew for many years, and he's sort of a very angry guy, you know. And uh, at one point, I thought he was thinking about suicide, and, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, man, you were doing okay, you know, I wanted to make sure. But, but man, he just kept listening and listening, and then his mom, I think his mom or his stepmom was really developing uh, – 
deep spiritual relationship with him, and he finally gave his life to Christ, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, now he's just really, uh, he's still in the court system. He's outside the detention center. He's gone on a couple short-term mission trips, involved with one of the local churches in uh, Lancaster. So it's, one of, so it's not only the youth, but it's the staff as well. They can be impacted. Yeah. Yeah, for the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Good. Well, I know you brought a friend yep. today to share a little bit about his I th story. I think he's a friend. Yeah, yeah. Come on up, Caleb. This is Caleb. Caleb, I'll have you pronounce your last name. I don't want to botch it up here. My name is, my name is Caleb Marrera. Yeah, Caleb, uh, 24 now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, Caleb, we've known each other for a while. Yes. Yeah. So I just want to ask uh, uh, some questions. Caleb actually had to spend time on juvenile probation in the juvenile detention center. So I just want him to share some of his perspective. Let me ask you, Caleb, first of all, what were some of the challenges for you growing up? Uh, uh, especially your teenage years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, my mom was, uh, she struggled with drug addiction. She actually passed away from a drug overdose when I was 21. Um, she got real bad towards the end, but, but when I was growing up, yeah, she struggled a lot. And my dad, he, he was a good father, but he was, you know, in and out of, um, he went to tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, different countries. Um, so I kind of got, got in with the wrong crowd. And I was doing hard drugs, too. And my original charge was a drug charge. And what it was is my mom just got so, t I mean, I, I understand. And I knew how to make a change. And she got tired of me, even though she had illegal drugs at the house. And, she, you know, she, she called the cops on me. And I didn't say anything bad about her. And, you know, they arrested me for drugs. And that's how I kind of got caught up in the system. Uh, when, when were you actually placed on probation? How old were you? when you Fourteen. Were and then uh, my, my charge led me to the detention center directly after. And I actually, I was there multiple times. My last time there, they, well, I actually ended up picking up a charge there because I got in a fight with somebody. And they were talking about sending me a DYS, which is the prison system for um, youth. And I knew I would not want to go there. It's such a different hey, environment. Yeah, let, me, let me interject there about uh, DYS. There's three juvenile prisons in Ohio. There used to be 13. And why they're so serious is, you know, there's a lot of big cities in Ohio, and they all have serious gang issues. And these gang members are committing serious felonies, so they put them, you know, put them in juvenile prison. And, uh, you know, you get the, the kids from the rural areas, like, you know, because you grew up in Pickerington, right? And uh, they don't really want to... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, knew I, I knew I did not want to get involved. In, and a minimum six-month commitment, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, got, I ended up getting my lawyer got the charges dropped, um, luckily. Um, and then that was the last time I was ever in the facility. But I was at, um, I was there, I think, three different times. So. Uh, you said you went in right away after your first charge? Yeah, okay. yep. I went out right away, and then I hey, got off with house arrest. Let me go back to, you know, what Eric was referring to. Just how were you dealing with your own anger issues as a teenager and the struggles there? What, was that, was that, because I often call it the anger monster, man. Was that the, the big one that was really affecting you, you believe? Yeah, I, I, was, I was definitely angry as, as a kid. I mean, you know, growing up and seeing my mom not able to take care of herself, had trouble taking care of us. I had two, I have two sisters and I was, I was angry from that. Now, Hey, when you were in the detention center, tell them what it was like being in the detention. How long were your stays in the detention center? Uh, so I think my first stay was 30 days. My second stay may have been 60 and my third stay may have been around 62. Oh, you should have got the new juvenile court judge. It might not have been as long, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so no, tell us, tell, I mean, those are pretty significant stays. So, Tell them what it was like being in the it, it was good. I mean, I the kids there, it wasn't too rough. I mean, it's really 
the the guards kind of ran everything. I mean, it wasn't there. You didn't have to really. I mean, you know, the reason I got in a fight in the first place is because there was some people trying to pick on me, or whatever, and I end up getting charges from that. But I mean, it was really relaxed. I mean, it wasn't too. It wasn't really too serious there. Um, it was, you know, well, tell them about the cell that you were in. Tell them what the cell. Yeah, was. so it's it wasn't that big. Um, it was by myself. I was by myself. The food was terrible. Um, <laughs> Metal toilet, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they had a workout. Uh, I don't know if they still do this, but they had a workout session for like an hour when you first got there. Um, or the whole time there, every morning they had a workout session. And at first, I mean, I was not. I was getting off the drugs, and I was I was so sick, and I was. I was struggling for like the first week there, and if you didn't do it, you got thrown in isolation. So like you had to do the workout, or you'd get in a lot of trouble with that. But it was good. I mean, it was a good program. I met Steve. I ran into him a few years later at a church event at another church I went to. Um, but it was it was honestly a good experience. I needed it, um, and it kind of helped me. I did struggle a bit when I was on probation, when I got off probation. But I also think growing up and maturing a bit, I was able to kind of steer myself straight, especially having outside influences and just positive environment. Yeah, you know, the, the structure of the detention center, you know, often we think, oh, man, he's, you know, the, the belief is, oh, these kids are going to get so scarred from being in. You know, a lot of times it's one of the best things that happens to them. I don't say that, and that's not the place for them to be, but, I mean, they wake up at a, in the morning, hey, they got the, the chores they have to do. They have structure. They have programming. It can really, hey, if a youth takes something from it, it can, and that's the idea, but unfortunately too many of them keep coming back too often. Now, what did you like about the spiritual programming when you were in the, the detention center? Was, you know, any of the speakers that stood out to you? or? Yeah, I mean, so what I really liked about the program is I loved the speakers. I loved having Steve teach the classes, but really helped was the one-on-one um, it was kind of it was kind of like a counseling session. It was good. I mean, I have always kind of believed in God and Jesus, and but that was I was still you know I was still going to youth group even before this and after this at Sycamore Creek Church, and I love that church. But um, just having the one on one time with Steve and just having the positive environment. And I, I forget. I mean, I don't know how many times a week we had the classes yeah, when a I was there. Times a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah but they they were good, and some of the kids you know took it serious. Some of the kids didn't take it serious, but I would say basically all almost all the kids that were in my pod attended, you know, the, the yeah. group. Yeah, I'm always, hey, I never, I never uh, take for granted any time a youth comes to either meet with me or come to a group, because that might be the one seed that's planted that may lead to eternal life. So, I, man, I, like this morning, we had 10 youth at the service, and, uh, man, it was just, I just, every time they come out of their cells when they're willing to come, man, I never, never discount that. Um, how did Sycamore Creek and, and Church in Pickering, and how was it helpful to you as you were dealing with probation? Yeah, so I was, I was, so the, the youth pastor was, his name is Scott Stem. Um, he was, he was a very good youth pastor. Um, he met with me, he gave me so much time, he met with me, he sent me stuff, he would, he was so involved in my life, um, especially. Did, did he visit you in there? Yeah, 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 he visited me too in there, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was, he was kind of along, because I was part of the youth group before, and, you know, up until I graduated high school, um, and the church really, uh, I, I ended up leaving the church, though, when I was, um, I think, at, right after high school when I left the youth group. But uh, it overall, it was a great experience there. Yeah, so I just say that because, you know, here we are, a local church, and, and I know you, you may know some teens that are really struggling and, uh, you know, on the edge. Maybe they're on probation, maybe they're not. But, hey, your involvement in their life can make all the difference, you know. Uh, it can it can maybe keep them from making that next move. And this is where the body of Christ, uh, and of course at Youth for Christ, we're so committed to the local church. We want to see, 
you know, young people be involved in the local church. Um, when, when did you believe you finally put all this behind you? What, 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 how old were you when you knew you were done with, ju- with probation in the juvenile court system? Well, I was on probation from 14 to 16. Um, but honestly, I, after probation, I was still doing just bad stuff and just involved in a lot of stuff I shouldn't have. So honestly, it was probably after I, my senior year, um, probably after I graduated high school, that I kind of changed my life around completely and didn't do any drugs, got out of everything. And, you know, when I was 20, 21, my mom passed away. And that kind of, like, opened my eyes up, too, because I just saw how bad she got. And obviously, she just, you know, got with her mental health and her drug use, it just got out of control. So she passed away. And then you know, before that, though, I was completely not using anything, but that kind of was a life event. Like, okay, let's get serious because I went to college and I didn't take that serious. I was, I was working full time, though. Um, but after she passed away, I just really took life serious. Uh- you know, we would see each other in Kroger's as you were starting, got through high school and in college. You know, one thing that always impressed me when I see you in Kroger's, you would always ask about the other teens in there. Why were you doing that to, to me? Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely interested. I, I, I love what Steve does because he, I would love to do something like, um, you know, when I get farther in a career, maybe be part of some organization that helps out teens just because I'm interested. I take an interest in people that I'm around, younger people, just because, you know, especially if they are committing crimes or doing drugs. And I just, I feel for those people. I kind of have, um, I just, I understand where they're at. So I, I would like to help them. And obviously I'm interested in, you know, what well, you're doing. Well, you know, Caleb was actually going to come in the center and, and share, share his story, but then COVID hit. We, we were setting that up and, you know, we hope to do that in the future. Um, so now, now you're, uh, uh, what, you're about three years into college, correct? Yeah. And uh, you just got a new job. Tell them the new job you just got. So I, I, I got a job at a car, car dealership. Um, it's this my is, first. This is his advertisement for you right now. <laughs> Anybody it's, need a car out there? Yeah, need a car? Yeah, this is a, <laughs> it, it's actually, so it's a, it's a sales position. It's my first career type position. Um, I always worked at, I did maintenance for a little bit. I did Kroger for a little bit. I was kind of all over. I was in school for six years, but I went part-time. I'd take like one or two classes at a time, but um, I'm, I'm excited for this job. I mean, I, yesterday was my first day on the floor. After training, I sold my first car yesterday, so I was pretty excited about that. Can we give my hand for selling his first car? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. Hey, one last, one last question, Caleb. What would you say to, to, this, to these folks? Because, I mean, they have they've been so generous to support the ministry. You know, you, you being one of the teens affected by it, what would you say to them? So honestly, I mean, people can really change their life around. You know, like, it's, it's difficult. All these kids, too, are go- growing up with either trauma or uh, drugs in their family. Like my mom, you know, she was on a lot of different stuff. And I kind of grew up around that. And I thought that that was maybe the life for me. I was young. I was naive. And um, so just like, I guess don't judge these people because they just, they're young, too. And I think a lot of people can change uh, as they grow older. I don't think it's, they're going to change right away, but I think it's definitely a process changing. Yeah, one last thing, Eric, I'll throw it over to you is, you know, when you look at the Great Commission, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, we really say that um, th- this population Samaria. Mm. You know, it's, they're right around us, but we don't necessarily relate to them. And that's one thing I'm really grateful for our chapter, because we have a significant uh, ministry in the bottoms of uh, Columbus and Franklinton. You're talking third generation welfare, uh, huge poverty, uh, graduation rate. They say it's in the 20%, but our executive director doesn't even know if it's in the 20%. Um, We have a deaf ministry uh, working with deaf students. Again, a marginalized group that 
oftentimes is not reached out to. Uh, last couple of years, God has led us to work with uh, uh, primarily females, but males as well. Uh, victims of human trafficking. We have a residential uh, facility for some of those teens. Just horrific you know, what they go through, a year residential treatment. We do a lot of community education as well uh, to try to, you know, keep young people getting, getting caught up in that. So I, I say all that because you're supporting all that. You know, in the, in the country, Youth for Christ, uh, Juvenile Justice Ministries, and like 100, about 150 facilities in the country, we have the largest imprint of any uh, uh, organization in juvenile detention centers. But there's like 1,300 facilities in the country, so there's a lot more to go. And we're partnering with other significant ministries in the country to do that. But, again, of these 47,000 teens each day in, in lockup, man, you're loving them with the love of Christ. And, I mean, I, I'm, I'm often so humbled and amazed at some of the staff people that are in juvenile justice ministry. And I say, God, why, you know, why don't you call me to this? I mean, these guys are just so talented and so gifted, and, and they're so creative, and hey, they're making a difference in so many other facilities as well. Yeah. So, Steve, I'm curious, just for you as a church, um, how can we better encourage you, better support you, be involved in what you're doing? Well, you know, the biggest thing is prayer. Uh, I really, you know, Ephesians 6 is really our anthem for spiritual warfare. I tell the prayer team, you know, we call it interrupt and interfere in these teens' lives. They wouldn't talk to me on the outside, but when they, when they go into tension, they're, they're willing to talk. So we interrupt and we interfere with the gospel. And then we initiate and we invite. You know, I want to I make Jesus beautiful, attractive, possible, no longer a stranger to them. Wow. And so, but you know, it says in the parable of the seeds, our Lord said, hey, when the gospel goes out, Satan's immediately busy wanting to take that seed away. So the major prayer I have for the prayer team is, Lord, pray, please, I tell people, please pray that the seed remains. Because that seed can come back. You know, that youth, you know, a youth ends up going to the, the adult system. Hey, it might be 10 years later that seed comes back, right? And that's what we're, we're going to be about doing is just sowing those seeds. Um, and then, you know, we try, to, we try to help some teens on the outside. I mean, it's limited in what we can do. Uh, you know, uh, mentoring, getting them involved in a youth group. Um, po positive pro-social skills, you know, sports, uh, education, and so forth. But uh, we often call it a missionary to one, but it's one of the hardest commitments you'll ever make, you know, being a spiritual big brother to a kid and uh, one of these teens and doing it for 48 out of 52 weeks a year. Yeah. But the, that's what studies show. If they can get a mentor, you know, you've, you've often mentioned, Eric, you know, in our times in the youth group, you know, the culture of leaving. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, if one of these youth can have an adult that spends a year with them, giving them their time, it's a lifetime relationship, and they, do, they begin to realize, hey, I can trust, I can love, and maybe this God's love stuff is real, you know? Yeah. And, and then plugging them into a community, and that's the hardest thing, because... You know, these kids know the streets and they know how to, you know, avoid uh, being around groups and, and especially uh, we've created some alternative youth groups for these teens in certain areas of the city that's, that have been good, but it's a challenge. Yeah. You shared this passage with me earlier this week from Psalm 82. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, give fair judgment to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. And because they are in darkness, the whole world is shaken to the core. Mm -hmm. 
uh, for us to be the kind of people that enter other people's lives, even if it doesn't look like ours, even if we don't quite understand it, um, to enter so we might love and care for other people. Yeah, I'm so grateful for the ministry because, and you're all part of this, is, you know, our, our faith is becoming more and more maligned in our society, uh, soft persecution is increasing, and how do we shine out the gospel? Well, we go to the orphan in their distress, right? You know, I mean, they can't argue with that, right? I mean, you're willing to go to the least, the marginalized, the self-destructive, you know, we call them sheep without a shepherd. You're willing to do that. And, uh, you know, just, you know, shining those good works out to, to the world. Yeah. Well, can we finish by praying for you all? Yeah. Let's do that. God, we are, um, we're grateful to be challenged today um, by your servant, Steve, and by um, just Caleb's story and what uh, you continue to do in his life and so many others. And God, we pray that uh, you um, would uh, make that seed just stay, would not be able to remove it or take it away or squash it, uh, but God, that the seed of the gospel uh, would remain. God, that there would be hope, that there would be love. God, that it uh, would birth in them um, a faith and trust in you, that their lives and eternity might forever be changed. And so, God, we believe uh, firmly that you can do that. So for Steve and his ministry and for all of the young people there, God, we just pray that you would encourage them and protect them. And to God, that uh, they would be able to see fruit. Um, and um, God, we know that uh, you are at work. And God, finally, for all of us, that we would be the kind of people that um, not just um, encourage and support Steve, although certainly that we would do that, um, that we would be the kind of people who um, get um, messy and get in people's lives uh, where it might not look like ours, might not match ours. And God, that we would be the kind of people that just exude your love, that uh, we would be able to listen and care, uh, to rescue, and God, to share the hope of the gospel with them. So God, thanks for Caleb, thanks for Steve and his family, for the ministry, uh, for all those um, in the juvenile detention center. And God, we're grateful that you've given us as a church um, the opportunity just to partner. And uh, we pray that uh, you would continue to do what only you can. Thanks for this opportunity, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys, for joining us this morning.